0: John chapter 5, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. While you're turning, welcome our visitors to the service. If you're visiting here, we appreciate you uh, coming down to Brister for church today. I'm glad all of you came. we got uh, some folks that are not here, and I think that we got uh, something's happening this weekend. Oh, deer season, that's right. <clears throat> and I know some people take their vacation, they're off to the deer camp and so forth. We'll pray for their safety. Some of you have already been deer hunting, uh, and I know that because I watched as we uh, as we talked and, and, and watched you visit with each other. I don't even have to see what you're talking about. If somebody does that, well, <laughs> I hope you're deer hunting because if, if you're not, then there's something really odd going on here, but <clears throat> you, sometimes you can see there or this number right here, somebody obviously either saw one or they actually got one. So I hope it's not sad stories. Uh, some of our young people are already showing out and getting uh, deer and, and killing those, and you're showing up the older folks, and they act real happy about that, but I know it rubs in the wrong way. They really want the big deer. <clears throat> I'm glad you're having a good year, though. Before we have our reading of the Scripture, of course, there's something else happening. Uh, of course, tomorrow is Veterans Day. That's where we pause to honor those folks who have served in the military uh, in any way, and we appreciate it. Uh, the hard work and the sacrifice and the time that's been put in by all those who have served in the military throughout the years so that we can have the country that we have. And we have quite a few veterans in our church today. I'm going to ask if you are a veteran, have served in the military at any time, would you stand As uh, right now? Just stand. All right. All right, look at that. <clears throat> Let's give all of these uh, a... <clears throat> We have some men and even a young lady there. We have all branches in our church. We have the Army. I know we have a Marine. We have an Air Force. We have Navy people, any Coast Guard people. We usually don't have a Coast Guard person. I think we had one time a Coast Guard, and I didn't mention them. Uh, but we have all branches represented. Thank you for your service. We appreciate that. Uh, we'll be looking in John chapter 5, verse 1. Would you stand as the Scriptures read, please? John chapter 5, verse 1. Now, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. There is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And whosoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that made him well. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the portraits of Jesus as you present to us in the Gospels. Help us to understand this very well and get a good, clear picture today of Jesus Christ, who he is and who we are, and to see our need for him in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Interesting miracle of Jesus that raises a lot of questions. We'll be dealing with some of those questions as we look in this passage of Scripture. But just to summarize how we understand the Bible, you understand the Bible by reading the Bible, especially the four Gospels. The four Gospels give us clues as how to understand the book. The Gospel writer John told us way over toward the back of the book that he specifically listed and describes some miracles of Jesus. And in chapter 20, verse 30, he said, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But listen to what he said. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life in his name. So there's enough details in this miracle, according to John, to reveal to us that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. And by looking at this miracle, that you would believe in Jesus Christ and have life through his name. So we understand, he said, this is why these miracles are listed, and there's sufficient evidence in every one of these stories about the miracle of Jesus that we can know who Jesus is to the point to where we can believe and have life Through his name. Well, let's look at some things about this miracle. Let's look at the time and the place. We understand there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. There's the time and place. It was a feast or a holiday of the Jews. Now, on the Jewish calendar, there are about six or seven that are mentioned in the gospel accounts. A Jewish man was required to attend the top three of these. And if he lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, he was required to go to this feast. These feasts were the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. And that, of course, celebrated the wandering in the wilderness, and they would make actually little brush arbors on top of their houses in different places. John mentions feast repeatedly in his gospel. And if you look at the book of John and start reading through there, he mentions the Passover three different times. In chapter 2 here, in chapter uh, there's a feast here in chapter 6 and chapter 11. He mentioned the Feast of the Tabernacles in chapter 7. He mentioned the Feast of the Dedication in chapter 10. We don't know what this feast is. He just simply says there's a feast. And he says Jesus went there. Now that reveals two things about Jesus. First of all, Jesus was obedient to the word of God for any other uh, Jewish man in the country. He was obedient and he went to these feasts. Why? Because he knew it was important to go to the place of worship at the time of worship. And these feasts were not only holidays, there were special worship services. And it was commemorating a special act of God. Jesus honored that. Jesus recognized that, and Jesus gave us the example that we should be together at the place of worship, at the time of worship. Now, it reveals something else. Jesus sought out the places where he could find plenty of people. Now, simply because that regulation was there that Jewish men were required to attend these festivals or feasts, he knew he could find a lot of people there because they all came to town. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And any time you get a big group of people together, he knew he could find some folks who needed a savior. But now it gets specific. Not only was that Jerusalem, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. So not only did he go to Jerusalem, but he went to the Pool of Bethesda. Now the Pool of Bethesda was by the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate was on the northeast corner of Jerusalem. It was a gate in the wall, and it is called the Sheep Gate as far back as the book of Nehemiah. It is mentioned in chapter 3 and chapter 12. So we know this was something that the Jewish people would know about, or anybody else that was familiar with Jerusalem, they would know about where it was. By the Sheep Gate, there was a pool called Bethesda. The word Bethesda means the place of outpouring. And this pool, according to archaeologists, we think of a pool as maybe just a small little splash pad. Oh, no. This was, according to some archaeologists, 300 by 200 feet. It was a big pool. It's much bigger than this building. And around this pool were... Five porches. In fact, archaeologists revealed that one of the porches or a colonnade or a landing, if you will, a patio, was between the two pools. It was kind of like a bridge over there. And then around these places were big places where people could gather. And this pool, of course, was known for its healing and medicinal properties. It was called, uh, you know, a, a healing uh Attraction. Now, this is quite interesting. This is just, this is just totally off the subject, but it is of notable local interest. One of the Canadian, old Canadian uh, scholars who was commentating on this passage of scripture said it had Colbyet qualities. Oh, I had to look that up because. Just down the road, there's Colibriate Springs. So I had to find out, what does that mean? The word Colibriate means full of minerals, maybe specifically iron. But through the centuries, the word Colibriate has been applied to something that has a healing property. So <clears throat> down at Colibriate Springs, or Klebert Springs, depending on how far south you are <clears throat> in Arkansas, that was a place where people thought you could get into that water and get well. Up in the North Party County, Magnesia Springs. Up a little bit further, Hot Springs. Then you have a place called Mineral Springs. Anywhere you had these springs, way back in the day, even up to now in America's history, they would want to get in those waters and get well. Now, a word about something that you may have noticed. That's the mention of the stirring of the water. If you have a New International Translation or a New Living Translation or an English Standard Version or if you have a New American Standard, some of the other English translations don't have that. So as I was reading the last part of verse 3 and the whole of verse 4, you probably looked up Want to know what's going on here. Well, let me explain that because that needs to be mentioned because I know in our congregation we have about five or six different English translations of the Bible. How is it that that was not mentioned? And here's how it turned out like this. We need to address this. The Bible is translated into English from ancient manuscripts. And the newest English translations, of course, are the same way. Some of the most ancient initial manuscripts did not have the last part of verse 3 and verse 4 in there about the stirring of the water and the angel came down stirring it. However, every English translation has verse 7, where the man says this, I have no one to put me into the water when the water is stirred. Well, that's in every one of the translations. And so uh, some of the ancient translations don't have the explanation. Now, scholars theorize very early on, and this is early on as 180 A.D., The 200 A.D., scholars actually mention this as they comment on the the, uh, passage of Scripture. Somebody penciled that in there so you could understand what's going on. So does it mean the Bible's not true? Absolutely not. I mean, that is an early, early translation where they penciled it in there. People got to understand what's going on because every translation says the the man mentioned something about the water being stirred. So somebody penciled that in that this was the common belief. The water, it sometimes would bubble up and it stirred, probably because of some sort of a spring-like activity. Well, the the belief was that an angel came down there and stirred it. And obviously, their thought was that angel just really didn't have his stuff together because that was only good for one person. And so the first person in there would get healed, and the other people were out of luck. So that's kind of where we were. This was a medicinal place, and people, as you know, came from all over. And the place was filled with people wanting to get well. Now, here's the hook. When we have a place like Hot Springs, it becomes a tourist attraction. And did you know that even up in McNeil, Magnesia Springs was a tourist attraction? You know, when we carry the youth up there, a lot of times for our Bible school, we'll go and hike around to Magnesia Springs. You have to hike to it now. But it was right on the railroad track or some. There's a hotel up there. The foundation's still there. The spring's still there. People would come in from all over to McNeil, Arkansas, as a tourist attraction because of that bubbling up of the water. Now, let me say this. This was not an attractive tourist attraction. What does it say about this place? It says, here is the Pool of Bethesda. Around were five porches, and around this lay several, a multitude of sick folks. A multitude, a lot of sick folks. It says they were blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. So let's let's see what this is. You have the festival going on. And you have the festival going on, and and all over the festival were tourist attractions. All over the festival were the brightest and the best and and the beautiful people and the movers and the shakers and the rich and the famous. All the places you needed to go in Jerusalem. But then right down there at the northeast corner of Jerusalem was the Pool of Bethesda. And all you had there were people who were taken there, and they were blind and lame and paralyzed and sick. Now, they were not only taken there to be benefit from the water, they were left. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at the verse 7, where the man says this. Sir, I have nobody to put me in the water. Now, excuse me, somebody carried him there. Somebody took him to the pool of Bethesda and then dropped him off. And left. He got so close, but they dropped him off and left him and didn't come back. And I cannot help but believe if one man was like that, a lot of them were like that. It was a whole crowd of people who were dropped off and left and they couldn't leave. Now we know that if they're dropped off there and they can't leave, and they can't move, and they can't walk, that place became unpleasant quickly. It was a horribly unpleasant place to be. Now, what, that's the what. Let's look at the so what. Who walks in among all those people? Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus came to the festival. Now, Jesus, this is early on in his ministry. He could have walked around with the movers and shakers and tried to get an endorsement for his ministry. Maybe get some financial support. Maybe, of course, get a little bit of notoriety. Let me rub shoulders with the folks who were were famous and folks who were popular. And folks, let me just go and and kind of get a little bit of credibility to what I'm doing. You don't see him with the movers and shakers. You don't see him with the beautiful people. You don't see him at all the, the bright, fancy parties. You see him walk right down to the pool. Of Bethesda. And he's moving around with all of the sick and the lonely and the hurting people. That tells us a lot about Jesus. And these things are written that you can believe that Jesus is the son of God. And believing on him, you may have life through his name. You see, Jesus sought out those that had the worst needs. And he's still looking and searching and moving toward people that have needs. So... Let's look at the actions of Jesus. Jesus goes to the pool of Siloam, I mean the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus begins with a question. Verse 6, do you want to be made well? You might say, now that is absolutely, uh, that question is uncalled for. That question is absolutely not needed. You don't need to ask the man if he wants to be made well. But if you look at his answer, you see that that was a good question. That was a valid question. You see, his question reveals that the man had misplaced his focus on what was really important. Do you want to be made well? Now, maybe early on, the man would have said, well, sure, I want to be made well. That's all I've ever wanted was to walk. But notice His focus, do you want to be made well? And he said, I can't get into the pool. All I want to do is get in that water. And if I could only get in the pool, everything would be good. But I can't get into the pool because nobody will put me into the pool and everybody's passing me by. And I've been here for a long time. You'd think at one time somebody would pick me up and carry me to the pool. But no, everybody's going ahead of me. Everybody's getting in front of me. And I'm going to be that close and some guy steps in in front of me. And you would think maybe we could take turns. But I can't get into the pool because people won't take me there. Therefore, his focus was to get into the water, not to get well. And he was thinking if only I could get there, I'd be well. You see, he lost the primary focus of what was really important. His answer reveals Jesus did need to ask that question, and humanity is like that. Just like the man whose absolute primary need was to get well, and we're thinking all he wants to do is get in the water, a lot of times people seek peace and joy and satisfaction in life and all the wrong things. Just like this guy said, if I could only get into the water, There are people who go through life and they're thinking, if I could only have more money, I'd be better. I'd be happier. If we could only get out of debt, we'd be happy. Things would be better. If I could only be in the popular crowd. A lot of times, go back to my junior high and high school days, if I could only be one of the popular ones. Sometimes if I could only have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or maybe it gets even worse if I could only have a different boyfriend or girlfriend. But a lot of times, you know, Young people, they just don't seem to have it all happy unless this piece is in place. And if I could only have a boyfriend, if I only have a girlfriend, if I only get a date, if a girl even look at me, then I would be happy if I only had a, a truck, if I only had a different truck, if I only had a bigger house, if I only had better clothes, if I only had this, if I only had that, then I'd be happy. And we lose sight. That all these things are insufficient to bring real happiness. But what are we looking for? Still looking for what really matters to the source of true satisfaction? We're like the man. I just got to get to the water. No, he needed to get well, but all he thought about was the water. And a lot of times, all we think about are things that don't matter. And all we're really looking for is true purpose and love. And joy and peace. Up till now, John starts a pattern of people who found that what man could offer is so much inferior to what Jesus can offer and so insufficient. starts with the very first miracle where Jesus turned the water into wine. The wine was insufficient. Number one, there was not enough of it. And number two, when they tasted what Jesus had to offer, the guy that was managing the feast said, man, you brought the best stuff for last. That's not usually the way it's done. You've been bringing us the cheap stuff up to now, but man, this is the real deal. But see, the wine was insufficient. In chapter four, the woman at the well found That the well water was insufficient. Jesus said, You drink this water, you'll thirst again. You drink the water that I give you, you'll never thirst. So we understand what man, even Jacob, had to offer was insufficient. In chapter six, we find this a multitude had met, and they didn't have enough food. The food they had was inadequate, the food they had was insufficient all the people together couldn't come up with a solution thousands of people couldn't come up with a solution and Jesus comes up with the solution and what he came up with was more than plenty they all ate they all were filled they all had left over what's the pattern here the pattern is this humanity and culture and society and the crowd and money and whatever can never match what Jesus Gives us. It will always leave us dissatisfied. It will always leave us unhappy. There'll always be a, per, a piece missing out of our life. There's never enough toys. There's never enough parties. There's never enough people. It's always something missing until Jesus comes and gives us what really matters. Passage of scripture that points this out Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Actually, the the whole message of what we just mentioned is summed up in two words in this passage of Scripture and see if you can catch it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom... Also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages that come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." By grace you have been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Did you catch that? We fulfilled the lusts of our flesh. We wanted it all, and we got it all. But God gave us what we really needed. God made us alive. God filled us with life. God made us new creatures And we are made alive and raised up to sit in heavenly places. Not because of all the stuff we wanted and all the stuff we got. But God was sufficient. That is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now a word about a word. We talked about the different English translations. There's a word that shows up here and it's, Every English translation almost uses a different word. In verse 3, in these, these five porches, lay a multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Sick people. King James Version used the word impotent. The New International Version says disabled. The English Standard Version says invalids, sick people, impotent, invalids, disabled. Well, <clears throat> actually, the King James may be the more accurate because the word impotent, the word impotent means power, strength. That little uh, I am, that little prefix there means without. If you look in the original language that the Bible is written in, The Greek word that's used is osteneo. And what does that mean? Without strength. Now there's a message here. In this porch lay people without strength. And the man who couldn't get into the water, did you know he is addressed by the same word when the impotent man, the without strength man, begin to blame everybody else and everything else because he was sick, Jesus came along and gave him what he needed. Now, the message is found a little bit later on in the Bible where the same word is used. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, will be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, will be saved by His life. When we were without strength, did you know that same Greek word is there? That same Greek word, osteneo. When we were still Without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. This man was without strength. Same expression. All these people laying on the porches are without strength. Then Jesus comes along and he looks at the man and the man that's without strength now is able to get up and walk. That's exactly what is mentioned in the book of Romans chapter 5. When we were without strength, helpless and hopeless, Christ died for the ungodly. When it comes to salvation, we're without strength. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We don't deserve it. We'll never get it on our own. We're without strength. We're like the man trying to get to the pool. We'll never get there. But Jesus died for the ungodly when we were without strength. So the gospel message is presented even in that one little word in this miracle. Now let's look at what Jesus knew as we wrap it all up. First of all, Jesus walked through there, and the Bible says specifically, Jesus looked at that man in verse 6. He saw him lying there, and look at this. He knew he had already been in that condition a long time. How did Jesus know this? Well, we know Jesus was not brought up in Jerusalem. Jesus was brought up in Galilee. This was one man among many, and I'm sure there were probably people over the course of the years, they came and went and came and went. They didn't know this man. They didn't even know his name. But here's Jesus comes along. He knew everything about him. He knew that he had been in that condition a long time. He knew he had been frustrated for a long time. He knew he had been hurting for a long time, hopeless for a long time. He knew how long his physical condition had been that way. Now, there may have been some people who knew about that. So we say Jesus knew what a lot of other people knew or have some other people knew. And the same thing goes with our life. Jesus knows what's going on with us. And a lot of things that's going on with us other people know about. They know when we're sick. They know when we got problems. But then there's those other problems, those other issues. that Maybe nobody knew how long he had been hurting, but Jesus knew. Sometimes people don't know How you hurt, how I hurt, how long we've been hurting. But Jesus knew all about that, didn't he? He knew what nobody else could know. Oh, but it gets even better. Jesus knew about a spiritual condition. In verse 14, he says something that just raises a lot of questions. Questions we'll always have. He says, see, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now Jesus isn't asking him to do something that's humanly impossible, so it's not like Jesus was asking him to prevent to present sinless perfection from now on. He said, "Sin no more." The man knew what he's talking about. Jesus knew what he's talking about. I don't know what he's speaking of, but I don't have to. You see, Jesus knew what nobody else could know—that that man laying on. The porch by the pool of Bethesda had a sin in his life. A sin in his life that Jesus had to address. Nobody else would know. Nobody else could know. But he singling him out and he said, cut that out. Cut it out or it's going to get bad. Now, there's no way I can know what's going on in your heart. But Jesus does. That's why, isn't it great that we don't have to deal with with anybody but Jesus Christ. He knows how much you're hurting, but he also knows if there's something going on in your life that needs to be straightened out. And just like the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus comes to us, he looks us straight in the eye and says, you cut that out. Or this will end up bad. So I'm ask us, as we prepare for an invitation to him. Maybe you're like this guy with Bethesda. <clears throat> there's some unhappiness in your life. And it may be with some situations. That's understandable. Would you talk to Jesus about it? Maybe you're here and there's a decision you know you've been needing to make to make things right with Jesus Christ. We had not addressed that specifically, but this is a good time and place to do it. Maybe there's something in your life you know is amiss with Jesus. You need to straighten some things out. Uh, You're not talking to me, but you do need to talk to Jesus about it. Well, whatever need you have, Jesus comes where there's people. He comes where there's people hurting. Whether it's the pool of Bethesda or whether it's the church at Brister, I know people hurt everywhere, and Jesus came to meet their needs. As we stand and sing. Number 109.